I'm Dash, father of two adopted daughters and two biological sons between the ages of 2 and 13. And I'm Sly. I'm a year and a half into parenting and it's way harder than I thought it would be. You are now tuned into the sounds of Imperfect Dads, a parenting podcast. We've staked out some bandwidth on the internet to build a community that has empathy for and camaraderie with other imperfect parents. A place where we can learn from other people how to be better parents. And somewhere where we can occasionally figure out how to be slightly less embarrassing parents. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and give us a rating on iTunes. It's super free and super helpful. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter, where we share items that we've found that make us feel better about ourselves as parents, because we're really nailing everything perfectly. Thanks for listening to Episode 7, where we talk World Cup 2019 with Annie Peterson, who covers soccer for the Associated Press. She also covers sporting events in the state of Oregon. So she pretty much has the best job ever. Now let's make like a rocket and kick it. Really? No soccer? Not even, let's make like Air Bud World Pupping kick it? (sighs) (laughs) Swy, I am very glad to be able to talk with you today. It's always my pleasure, Dash. And we need some pleasure in our lives because we've been uh, running up against some tough stuff lately. Oh man, we have had a rough go, haven't we? The good news is we're at least thematically in line with each other (laughs) yes we are uh we are in the hole together yeah our first issue that we've both been having separately together is housing how's your housing situation shaking out these days listen in the last month we have gone from stably settled to our landlord selling our house and being given our 30-day notice to uh to vacate the premises so not quite eviction language but uh yeah they they're selling it and they need to close soon so we are out of our house and we don't know where we're going yet on the bright side you did not come home to find all your possessions on the curb the downside is you have to get all your possessions out of the house within 30 days or they will be on the curb. That's, uh, yeah, that's the long and the short of it. Yeah, that is frustrating. You So that's uh, what stinks about renting property. Yes. What stinks about owning property is you actually have to fix stuff, which we have just been fighting with water in our basement for the last couple of weeks. And it's been... Super frustrating in the midst of historic rains here in the Midwest. So that disruption of space, I think that probably affects how we parent a bit. For sure. Yeah, our uh, you know our routine has been interrupted so many times by not really feeling like we can live in our own space because uh, we've had to keep it like show ready. And now they're doing like inspections and the appraisers coming over and everything. So... Like we we have a bunch of stuff that was like out on our countertops, and it's just like in a box shoved in a cabinet. So uh, it makes the space look bigger, and it makes everything look more clean and sleek. But it's also really hard to find the pepper grinder. Oh yeah, our issue is that our basement for our kids is their main play space. And also just the amount of time that I'm spending cleaning up and uh, managing like the installation of a sub pump and all that jazz. Like, yeah, I don't think it's made me 
more frustrated with my kids or take things out on them, but I can sense that they're like just feeling the general tension and kind of my weariness. Yeah. And so it's, that's just, it's just like an unsettled feeling. Yeah. Yeah. And that stinks. Then on top of all of that, both of our wives are not moving at full speed right now. My wife is in a walking boot due to some torn ligaments in her toe. And I believe that, um, your wife also has a matching accessory of a not fully functional leg. Yeah, they're both down a wheel. We uh, we are done with the crutches stage, but we are still far from 100% here. My wife had knee surgery to like clean up some cartilage and do a little uh, tissue scraping or something. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. Uh, but... Uh, yeah, so she's uh, she's down in the ibuprofen and icing and elevating and all that stuff, uh, hoping to hoping to get back to a hundred percent. But yeah, it's uh, it's the added burden of um, you know, on top of everything being unsettled, we're also uh, trying to parent with you know, metaphorically one hand tied behind our back, literally uh, one leg taped up. <laughs> I would actually like to see that literally. It's one of those things where um, I think for both of us, we both married women who are highly intelligent and who do a lot of things really well. At our house, it's tough for mm -hmm. me to keep my wife from doing things. Like I understand that she wants to be helpful and down in the basement. I don't think it's a particularly good idea for her to be down there with a walking boot on because, you know, it's muddy and there's two inches of water <laughs> on the ground. Um, but, you know, it's just like... Can you imagine how gross that foot would be? It would be super gross. Fortunately, you're not a doctor. She is. So she does have some knee-high, like, <laughs> surgical booties that she throws on the walking boot when she really has to get in grimy situations. Yeah. But it's still, like, you yeah. know, tough to, tough to make her sit still and, and chill. Yeah, no, that's the truth. We uh, both of our wives are like that. Mine is uh, her biggest problem so far has been listening to me when I tell her to sit down and <laughs> ice your leg instead of trying to you know pick everything up. But she's so quick to jump up and like you know try to try to parent or try to you know clean something up or like take care of the dog or whatever. And it's like Karen, I got this. You gotta you gotta sit down. The whole situation at our house just kind of makes me think about margin and how different my life feels now that our margin has been totally squeezed. Like we are holding it together, but it really feels like if you're driving a car too fast and the bolts start falling out of the bottom, like you're not sure how much longer you can do it. And <laughs> oh, I was just gonna say, yeah, it kind of feels like you just need to tighten your seatbelt a little tighter. Yeah, it's pretty tight though. I could barely breathe. It makes me empathetic for people who are squeezed at the margins all the time. And a lot of times by like, you know, stuff that is outside of their control. Like you and I have both worked in environments um, with a lot of single parents and parents whose housing situations have changed all the time. And I think it's one thing to be able to look at it from the outside and be like, man, that stinks. Like that would take a lot of effort. It's another thing to then think about wow. And you're parenting too. And I can like 
feel how exhausting that would be if you were doing it all day, every day. For sure. Yeah. I mean, the, the word I keep coming back to is stability. Like we just don't feel like we're on, like, like we don't know where we're going to live a month from now. And granted, this is like, obviously coming from a place of extraordinary privilege to be able to like have options. And so our unsettled is like, Oh, well, you know, which option are we going to go with? Uh, but for folks that, you know, literally don't have any of those options, uh, yeah, it's, it's tenuous at best. And I can, I can understand the anxiety that that produces and, uh, all of the peripheral effects of that anxiety, particularly on parenting. Yeah. So I think hopefully, you know, as we look in on other people's lives, a little less quick to be on the judgy side, a little more uh, quick to be on the empathetic side is probably a, a good way to, to break on that. Let's talk about something happy. Let's talk about soccer. I don't know if you know this, Swai, but there is a big soccer tournament coming up starting June 7th. Women will be playing a World Cup in France. Oh, the U.S. qualified for this one? Yes, unlike the men's tournament, uh, the U.S. women's Zing. national team actually qualified. So we can engage in uh, patriotism instead of hobby patriotism of adopting another country to root for throughout the tournament. I don't know about you, but I have always been a huge fan of teams like France and Croatia. Well, good news. They were both <laughs> really good this last tournament. <laughs> and uh, I think like since this tournament is played in France, I am really fearful that the French will overtake the U.S. women's team. I just think that they're super talented and the home field advantage is going to be a lot. This is all over your head, though, um, because I would consider you a person who enjoys soccer as kind of a fringe activity it is definitely a bandwagon type thing like i i know just enough about soccer to be dangerous like i can uh carry on a conversation about it for about i don't know three minutes but once you get past like the top tier and a couple of famous names and like very basic strategy uh it's just kind of it's just kind of all over my head. Yeah, I mean, you learned everything you know from video games, and you've had 15 different favorite teams. But I think that's what makes World Cups such a great viewing experience because it's super accessible. Like, a ton of the games are on over-the-air Big Fox, which is free to watch and easy to watch. Um, and then, too, like, since it's so such a compact tournament, it takes course over a month. Um, you don't have to like dedicate your whole life to it. And one thing that can be nice is that the games are a little bit more during the day. And so I think that makes it a better viewing experience. If you're home at all during the day with your kids, like they don't have to stay up super late past their bedtimes to enjoy something and learn something. Certainly. I remember last summer, uh, the, the start times, matched up perfectly with nap times so it would literally be like i would wake the child or the child would wake up from a nap and we would get some food and sit down just in time for the 1 p.m kickoff mm, nice yeah. it is always nice when nap times schedule 
yeah when nap times match soccer times i found i love watching it with my kids um because of the representation like the multiculturalism is really cool gives us kind of an opportunity to talk about what is going on in the world although um i was watching the um uh, the Asian continental competition a few months ago where all the Asian teams play against each other. This was a men's tournament and my youngest daughter were watching, uh, it was like, I think Vietnam maybe versus Japan. And she was like, everybody looks the same, which is a super cringeworthy statement to begin with. Um, especially because for two reasons, well, number one, just like basically speaking, that's kind of like a racist thing to say. Secondly, her sister is Vietnamese. And so she's heard her sister say before, like, ah, oh, like I hate it when, you know, people call me Chinese. And thirdly, because my daughter who mm. said this is Ethiopian. And she said before, there's this other girl in her class and she just gets really frustrated when, uh, people get like the two black girls at her school confused with each other. And so to my credit, yeah. I did not freak out on her but it was one of those opportunities like okay so they like asian people do look similar but there are you know differences in how they look just like there are subtle differences in food and other aspects of their culture and just like you don't like it when people get you confused with this other young lady because it makes you know you feel like people aren't paying attention to you um if we like see groups of people instead of us just saying like, oh, they're all the same, I guess, you know, the question we should ask in our family is, oh, like I wanna learn more about what makes these people different. So we kind of have those teachable moments and I guess if your kids are gonna say things you'd rather them not say, it's nice if they could say them in the house so you can neutralize them before we go out in public. <laughs> before they run for political office or something. Yeah, or like post <laughs> it on the internet someday. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> Fortunately, my child is uh, young enough that he's still not really talking coherently. So I have the blessing of being able to use sports as not something that I have to actively parent through, but rather something that we could just enjoy because there's noise and lights. <laughs> as long as the game schedule doesn't break so that you have to be super quiet and not wake your child up from nap because i went through a couple world cups like that and it was it was a struggle that's a that's a fair assessment but the other part of it is that i don't care enough about soccer to like like unless it's the u.s in the like world cup semifinals i can't imagine getting worked up enough emotionally to to like wake a child up from a nap that's fair enough you're more of a connoisseur than emotionally invested you know, I just, I appreciate the beautiful game for what it is. <laughs> well, I have good news for you and other people who appreciate the game on occasion, but don't know a lot about it. I had a chance to chat with Annie Peterson on the phone and everybody now gets to listen into that conversation. Hopefully the, what we want to do is teach folks a little bit about what's going on in this tournament um, in terms of on the field stuff, but then also highlight some of the off the field things, the socio-political, the gender equality things that will make this tournament interesting to watch and 
that, um, you know, we can kind of join in and I guess some of the, the specific and overall advocacy that different players and different teams are engaging in. Annie Peterson has been writing for the Associated Press for over 30 years. She is the AP's sports writer in Oregon and reports on both professional and collegiate sporting events within the state. For the last five years, she's also been covering international soccer for the AP. Her writing has appeared in the Associated Press, USA Today, Business Insider, Yahoo India, ABC News, US News and World Report, SFGate, The Globe and Mail, The... Man, you know what? She's pretty much appeared in every major publication you can think of, and we're fortunate to be able to have this conversation with her about the 2019 World Cup. This call is now being recorded. Annie, thanks so much for joining me today to talk about this World Cup that's coming up. Well, you're welcome, and thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. So the U.S. women's national team is always good. They are the defending World Cup champions. How does this team compare to women's teams in the past talent-wise? Well, this team is arguably the most loaded and deep team that U.S. soccer has ever had. This This team is ranked number one in the world by FIFA, um, which is the soccer's governing body for a reason. Um, they are just loaded uh, from top to bottom talent-wise, and they are the clear favorites to win. However, that being said, the United States has enjoyed a long run of being the best team in the world and having the most talent. But we're seeing other teams around the world really kind of catch up with the United States. Um, that France is very, very good um, and should be a contender, especially in their home country. And England is a surprising uh, challenger. Um, they were kind of, a couple of years ago, they were kind of on shaky ground and they hired Phil Neville, a former men's national team player to be the coach, even though he had no experience coaching women. And the team has just done fantastically uh, well in, in and responded underneath, uh, underneath him. So, um, so both of those teams are, are rising. A lot of the European teams um, obviously have taken some steps toward, uh, becoming better and and we right here in North America we can see that you know Canada really went all in on their women's national team when they hosted the Women's World Cup and now Canada is also among the teams in the top 10. What are some of the things especially that the European teams have done in addition to improving the quality of managers that have helped them close that gap? Well, they're starting to invest more in their women's teams. Um, you know, we talk about, uh, especially in the United States, there's a lot of talk about equal pay and uh, equal treatment of women's teams. But Europe has really, um, in addition to the United States, has really led the way on some of these issues. And the thing that is kind of interesting is that they 
have realized that there is growth in the women's game. Um, the men's game, in a lot of ways, is saturated. You've got it's the top sport worldwide. You know, football is the top sport worldwide, and all these people watch it, and it's tremendously popular, and there's a lot of money to be made uh, still there. But the women's game represents growth. Um, and so I think a lot of European nations and a lot of the club teams over in um, Europe, like teams like Manchester United and teams like Chelsea and teams like PSG are realizing that if they put some time and effort into the women's game, that it will pay off in the long run. And so, excuse me, I think that that's that's what you're seeing, um, especially in Europe. You talk about this investment, and it's not – there's discussions about how equal or how equitable the investment is. Globally, what are the discussions that are happening and and how are – people um, advocating for a more equitable investment in the women's game? So um, so I guess the best way to talk about that is that there are vast, vast disparities um, within women's soccer. We, you know, we talk about the vast disparity between men's soccer and the women's game but within the women's game itself, um, you've got, you know, teams that, you know, don't, don't have jerseys, you know, don't have shoes, don't have practice fields. Um, I recently did a story on the conditions in South America for women's club teams. And most of, you know, these leagues in other countries and underdeveloped countries, the women's even though they're, you know, they're called club teams and they're called pro leagues for women, they're not. They're amateur leagues. These women don't get paid very often. They often get paid under the table. They have to have other jobs. Um, they have to. They have to either pay for their own travel to games or they're taking, you know, rickety buses on eight hour there's one one story about a team that that took an eight hour bus ride um this is in in latin america took an eight hour bus ride to play a match and the federation or the the club it was a club couldn't pay for the team to spend the night in a hotel so they slept on the bus um and that was before a match so uh just getting decent fields to play on is sometimes the the fight that women are having. Um, So, you know, most folks look toward FIFA, which is the governing body of the sport, to do more to encourage different countries to invest more in their women's game and to promote their women's game um, in on a greater on a greater scale. Uh, FIFA has been criticized for years for um, kind of inattention to the women's side of the sport. Um, that's 
starting to change. There, actually, it goes back a while. You know, uh, the, the the former head of FIFA who uh, had to leave in disgrace, Seth Blatter, once suggested that the women could get more fans um, playing if they played soccer in tighter shorts. Um, so the sexism was kind of, you know, ingrained um, in the organization and. But in recent, in more recent years, uh, FIFA, you know, has been embroiled in scandal and they are doing what they can to, um, kind of straighten out the organization's reputation. And one of the things I think that is, would be a great place for them to focus is on the women's game and promoting the women's game. And indeed, there are signs that they are doing this. Back in 2015, FIFA faced a lot of criticism because they had scheduled the World Cup on, um, excuse me, the, the, they had scheduled the World Cup on artificial turf in Canada. That became a huge issue. Um, Abby Wambach led a group of players in protesting the fact that the women had to play on artificial turf when at the men's teams have never, ever had to play on fake grass, and indeed, none of the World Cups that had been scheduled out from that point were on artificial turf. Um, a lot of people suggest that artificial turf is harder to play on and causes more injuries than than natural grass. So, around that time when Abby and a group of women's players were protesting artificial turf. Um, they actually took that fight to uh, court in Canada and eventually dropped it because they wanted to focus on playing in the World Cup. It was the the legal fight was going to take longer than the was going to take longer to solve than within the confines of the World Cup. So they decided to drop the case and focus on playing in the World Cup, and the U.S. went on to win. But since that time, uh, FIFA has really started to pay attention to some of the uh, criticisms of the women's game. FIFA increased the prize money for the Women's World Cup um, after being criticized for the amount of prize money. Like in the 2015 World Cup when the U.S. won, uh, there was a prize pool of about $15 million for the money. So the U.S. women's team collectively got $2 million uh, for winning the World Cup. Now, FIFA has doubled that amount. So there's 30, there's a $30 million prize pool for this World Cup. The winning team will ostensibly get $4 million. But at the same time, they increased the men's World Cup prize pool in, over the course of the same um, four years to by $40 million. So as there's still a lot of inequity. I mean, the, you know, they, they, uh, the team in France, the, the, the French men's World Cup winning team in Russia took, took home $38 million. So the differences there are, are quite Dark. And there's a long way to go with that, um, obviously. But they are making moves. I mean, 
the fact remains is they are increasing prize money. They are also putting money aside for teams to train ahead of the World Cup and um, some some other uh, things that they had been criticized for. So FIFA is starting to to make some changes. They also last fall unveiled a global strategy for women's football, which is a um, like a from the bottom up effort to grow the women's game. Um, and the aim is to double the participation worldwide of female players in the game. And they're, you know, the, the idea is to grow the game from the grassroots level. And that is, includes going to nations where with the women's game doesn't have much of a foothold and showing federations ways they can attract, you know, ways they can promote the women's sport. Um, this, this is a noble endeavor and, um, I, I'm glad that FIFA took this step to unveil this strategy and that they, it was obvious that they put some thought into the strategy and what they're going to do. But at the same time, there's little or no evidence that there's a whole lot of money behind this effort. Um, and we don't know FIFA's financials, and they don't talk about the money that they're devoting to this program. So we don't know how much is being, you know, how much is getting to the federations um, in terms of efforts to grow the game. And you also have to remember that in a lot of these countries, there's vast corruption. So even if FIFA were to put a whole lot of money behind this effort and give it to, you know, member nations to spend on promoting the women's game and growing the women's game, there's a question about whether that that money would ever get to women, you know, to women, to female athletes. It's a, it's a complicated question and it's a complicated issue, but there are incremental improvements being made globally to, you know, to address some of the inequity in, in the, in the sport. You mentioned earlier that in the last World Cup, the U.S. women dropped a lawsuit that they had against FIFA so they could focus on playing soccer. They are currently in the middle of a lawsuit against the United States Soccer Federation fighting for more equitable pay. I doubt that lawsuit um, gets dropped before the tournament. Um, how do you think that the difference then in mindset of, of them using this platform now as an opportunity to fight for more investment for them as professionals, but also in their league, which a lot of people would say, is being neglected and underfunded. Um, how does that maybe change the tenor of what happens on and off the field during this tournament? Yeah, that's an excellent question. I feel like that, you know, this lawsuit is going to be um, kind of simmering in the background um, constantly um, when the women are, are on the field. Um, you know, the, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people who suggest that it might be a distraction. There's a lot of people who suggest that it won't. Um, uh, the 
the differences here are that in 2015, the fight was not necessarily, while the overreaching aim was to show inequity within the sport, the tournament, there was, there was absolutely no way that the tournament, that there was going to be any kind of resolution, right? Yeah. Um, that at the, they couldn't, they couldn't put the tournament on grass, you know, uh, a month, you know, three months out, depending on what the court had, you know, what any court had decided or would decide. It was, it was almost in a way, a largely symbolic effort. Um, this lawsuit is actually, uh, they are seeking changes in the pay structure at U.S. soccer. Um, so, so this is a different, so this is, this is different. Um, and yes, it will kind of, um, be hanging out there while the World Cup is going on. And yes, there will be a lot of talk about this lawsuit, but it is likely that this will be in the courts for quite a while. Um, and they, the, the team has been very clear. They, they're not going to boycott the World Cup because of this. Um, and they're not going to, at this point, there are, aren't any plans to boycott any events, um, because of this lawsuit. I think that there's, um, a satisfaction that they'll just let the lawsuit play itself out while they continue, you know, m- making a living doing what they want to do. As you, I'm going to, for one last question, I'll ask you to kind of put on your prognostication hat. And as we look into the future to the next World Cup in four years, as um, all this investment is negotiated on different continents and in different countries, how is the layout of women's soccer on the world stage different in four years than it is now? Oh, wow. Um, um, you know, a lot of it depends on how, how many eyeballs get on France, I think, and what, um, and what players are able to achieve um, in terms of what they do this summer. If if the World Cup really captures um, people's imaginations, like I think a lot of people hope it will, um, I think that there will be there will be a greater push um, for you know. I think there will be a, a rise in popularity for for the women's games in in places that that we don't expect it. Now, this whole thing has been kind of a, a slow roll, right? You know, before before the US national team started ever talking about equal pay and equal treatment, you know, the Australian women's team was already fighting that fight. Um and so this has been a slow build, and I have a feeling that it's going to continue to be a slow build. We might not see, you know, we're probably it's going to be a long time, if ever, that we see women's soccer on the same level as men's soccer. And I don't mean that to slight the sport, but there's just 
that's there's a lot of change that has to happen for for that to to occur. Um, but I do see that we will still be making these incremental improvements. You know, in you know, in, we're kind of in the United States, so we're in a little bit of a bubble. But feminist movements in South America are are on the rise, and women are speaking out about their rights globally in ways they haven't done before and uh and i think that as these movements kind of catch on and take hold i think in in underdeveloped countries i think that we'll see that the whole ecosystem gets lifted that would be awesome and what i hear you saying is we should all take time this summer to watch a lot of soccer Oh yeah, for sure. There's going to be a lot of soccer to watch too. It's going to be a it's going to be a really fun summer. It's going to be a really fun tournament. Um, there are so many things to watch. Um, you want to watch Marta uh, play in her fifth World Cup with Brazil and see if they can ever get over that hump of uh, winning a World Cup. You want to see England and Phil Neville make a run. You want to see whether France can. Uh, bring home uh, a World Cup title to match their men's uh, team, which it would be the first time that a men's and women's team from a single country wins uh, both World Cup titles. You obviously want to see if the women, U.S. women are going to defend their title. Um, Australia is another one of these teams that is super fun to watch. Oh, and the best story, the best story this summer, if you want to watch the Women's World Cup, watch Jamaica, because Jamaica is um, in the Women's World Cup for the first time. This was a team that was disbanded in 2008 and was revived only because of Bob Marley's daughter, (laughs) Sadella, who funded the team and invested in the team because Bob Marley Bob Marley was a huge soccer fan and uh so she latched onto this team she funded the team the Bob Marley Fund Foundation got behind this team and lo and behold they're in the World Cup for the first time and they have some amazing players including this one young lady uh named Bunny Shaw who is just a joy to watch. So, um, so everybody, if 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 you if you're just inclined to even catch a few games of the World Cup, Jamaica would be a great team to get behind. They have cool jerseys too. So if you <laughs> if you want to buy a if you want to buy a jersey and a support a team, it's it's almost like the women's soccer version of Cool Runnings. Um, and, uh, and they're just, they're, they're just a fun team and they're, they're spirited and, um, they, they're, they'd be super fun. I think that if you're at home and you're, you know, in addition to, to, uh, rooting for the, the U.S. team, which is the obvious favorites, if you want to, if you want to support a Cinderella team or a dark horse team, that would be Jamaica. Awesome. If people want to read your stuff and follow the work that you're doing during the tournament and beyond the tournament, where can they do that? So all of all of the things I write are at apnews.com, and it's all one word, and that's the AP's website. You can also download the AP News app, 
and go to sports and you can uh, customize that to show soccer stories if you'd like to. And you can also find me on Twitter and my Twitter handle is at Annie, A-N-N-I-E, middle initial M and the last name Peterson, all one word. Awesome. Thanks so much, Annie. We appreciate it and enjoy having one of the best jobs in the world this summer. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate it. Reach out anytime. Swai, so what did we learn today? Man, for the same reason that I like those 30 for 30 documentaries, uh, I get so interested in the stories behind the game. I heard a podcast a year or so ago about the Spanish women's team that qualified for the 2015 World Cup and then all the political finagling that went down as they decided to address the issues of, you know, rampant sexism and general disrespect head on. What about you? What'd you learn? I learned that there is going to be a ton of soccer on TV to watch this summer and that Annie says we should try to watch as much as we possibly can, which I am going to just assume is a medical prescription and we'll use the privilege as such. Yeah, your wife's the doctor. I think I can probably get away with it. That's probably true. (laughs) Hey, thanks for listening in today. It would do us a solid if you could head over to iTunes and please leave a review. It helps other people find the show, just like Kristen Press helps her U.S. women's national teammates find the goal. Hey, Imperfect Dads was created by Ben Swihart and Christian DeShiel. We also wrote, produced, and edited the episode. We did everything but the music. Big ups to the Passion Hi-Fi for all the music on this episode. Check out thepassionhifi.com to hear the selection of beats and instrumentals he has available for free and for sale. Thanks for listening. And thank you for the memories. Catch you on the flip. Why isn't Cinderella good at soccer? Because she's dressed in yellow. No, because she always runs away from the ball. Ha ha ha! Oh, ha ha! Ha ha!